Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel Northeast. We are so excited to have you here today on behalf of all the leadership of the church here. We're just thrilled to be with you this morning as we fellowship together, as we spend time in His Word. We are truly blessed to be able to gather together here freely today and proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Throughout the last several weeks in our study in the book of Acts, we have had the opportunity to look into the lives of brothers and sisters in the early church. The Word of God divinely inspired. God's love letter to us amazingly provides these different opportunities where we learn about the life of an early Christian, what it was that they did, how they lived their lives. And in many cases, it's just a glimpse. Average individuals that perhaps we never hear from again, yet their lives are immortalized in the pages of Scripture. Were they special? By many standards, no. But by God's standard, yes, because their story was a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A testimony to the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. From Stephen to Philip to Paul to Tabitha. As we return to our study in Acts, if you recall from last Sunday, we learned of the woman Tabitha, or Dorcas as it was translated. A woman who was full of good works, which she did. Her faith in Jesus Christ compelled her to give herself to service of others. And in so doing, she advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was her work of practically meeting the needs of those in her community that caused her to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And this was evident at her death as those who mourned referenced the clothing that she had made for them and given to them. But for the sake and the benefit of the people, God so moved through Peter and brought Dorcas back to life. What an amazing story Dorcas had even before her death. The things that she could testify to even before her death, but even more so as she was presented again alive to the people as we read in Acts 9 verse 40. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. What we saw in the life of Dorcas was the importance of backing up your faith with action. While works cannot save you, they should be a natural outcome of an inward faith. When God's people are so living out their faith, we bring glory to our Father. And in the case of Dorcas, many then believed on the Lord. And what we'll see in our study today as we continue to look at the life of and ministry of Peter is that God was working in Peter's heart, continually transforming him that he could carry out his plan and purpose for the gospel. What we see today, what we will see is so important in the history of the church and is still an incredibly important message for us. A message that reminds us that God calls us to do uncommon things that we might glorify our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we go to your word today, Father, bless our time in it. Speak to us, Lord, as I know you already have. Continue, Father, we pray, to reveal yourself to us, to mold us and to transform us. As we often pray, Lord, that as we leave here today, we would be different. Help us to receive what you have for us in the word today, as challenging as it may be at times, 
Help us to receive it. Lord, may we be encouraged through it, built up through it. And Father, as we look today to Peter's example of how you challenged what it was that he believed and how he lived his life and caused him to be transformed, that the gospel would go forth to the uttermost parts of the earth, may we take that same lesson here today. That sometimes you call us to be radical. You call us to do uncommon things. But you've made the way for it. It is not easy to praise you in the midst of storms. Yet that's what we're called to. We're called to faithfully serve you. To faithfully proclaim the truth. To praise you no matter what's going on in our lives. Establish that within us here today. As we continue to learn of those who have gone before us, Lord, spark within us the desire to know and to understand and to continue to tell our own stories, Lord, that we could be a body of believers consistently and faithfully proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, do that work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we'll pick back up here in verse 43 at the end of chapter 9 because this is a really important verse that sometimes gets glossed right over. Here at the end of the chapter, in this final verse, we continue to follow Peter, and we learn here, as it says, that he stayed many days in Joppa at the house of a tanner. Now, this may be just one brief verse, but it has some pretty significant ramifications. You see, tanners were those who worked with animals, dead animals to be exact. They would make leather from animal hides and make various goods and products from that. Now, we appreciate what the tanner produces for us, but for a Jew, this made them ceremonially unclean. In fact, if a woman was betrothed or engaged to a man who was a tanner and did not know that that's what his profession was, or maybe at the time of the betrothal, he was not yet doing that, that in finding out, the betrothal was effectively void. The poor individual couldn't even get married because of his profession. It wasn't that he was necessarily doing anything wrong. It was just the nature of the the work that he did. And so here we have ever so briefly mentioned that Peter, a man who was still given to much of, of Jewish religious nature and custom, here he's staying in the house of a tanner. What in the world is going on here, Peter? Have you gotten soft? You see, what's happening here with Peter is the work of God in his life and in his heart. This is critical, what's happening here. There are two things at play, the first of which is that there is an inward working in the heart of Peter. God is continuing to deal with Peter, to challenge his thinking, to mold his behavior. And he does the same in you and I. The other is how this inward working is then manifesting itself in the gospel. For because of these things, what will unfold here through chapter 10 is that the gospel will go forth for the first time to the Gentiles. And let me tell you that each and every one of you here today, uh, maybe I don't know everything about your backgrounds, but we should all be appreciative of the fact that the gospel went to the Gentiles. And so as we continue in chapter 10, verse 1, we read that there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Here we learn the story of Cornelius. Cornelius, a centurion, was part of the Roman army. He was established in his career, a senior officer. It appears that he was likely, because of this, fairly wealthy. He had a larger home. He had a staff that was with him. And he built good rapport with the Jewish people. 
Now, ordinarily, Jews would have despised a centurion. But in the case of Cornelius, a man who had come to honor the God of Israel and was generous with the people, he had earned their trust. He had earned their respect. He was what they would call a God-fearer, one who honored the Lord and faithfully obeyed Him in nearly every way, striving to live a devout life, but one who had not converted to Judaism, one who was not following all the laws of the faith. This is amazing because as we see here, this centurion who had been exposed to all of the pagan idolatry of Rome came to understand the basis for monotheism, the belief in one God, one true God. He was encouraged by the Jewish people and he was pursuing God. Yet he was still searching for more. For at this point, he did not know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. To a Jew, though a good man, he was unclean a Gentile, and that is the way that he would remain. And it says in verse 3 that about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so here again, we see evidence that Cornelius was an influential individual. He had a staff. And it's apparent that he was so influential that amongst those who who served him, that he had also influenced them from a faith perspective, from a religious perspective, that there were others who were devout and who were willing to follow his lead here and go to Joppa to seek out this individual named Peter. And they went quickly. It was, I don't remember the exact distance to the city, but this would have been something, I want to say around 30 miles or so. And here they take off right away, and it must be that they walked through the night because in verse 9 it says, "...the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city..." Peter went up on the housetop to pray. So now we're back with Peter, and Peter is staying in the house of the tanner. And it's about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. Now this is a unique vision, this thing like a sheet that's stretched out on its four corners and it's coming down to the earth from heaven, and in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. This is an incredibly impactful portion of Scripture here. This is essential for Peter to be able to change his understanding of what was about to be required of him. You see, had Cornelius at this point just come straight to the house and, and none of these things have happened, it would be likely that Peter would have seen him for what he was that he was a Roman soldier, a Gentile, someone who it would have been unclean for him to have spent time with him, to go and minister to him. 
But as we've already mentioned, God was working in the heart of Peter. And so Peter here, he's on the rooftop to pray, and it's the middle of the day. It's about noon. It's lunchtime. Peter's hungry. It's normal. Peter's a normal guy. In fact, he'll say that here later on as Cornelius bows before him. He'll say to him, I'm just a man. And as just a man, he was hungry. And in his prayer time, he begins to have a vision. He's seen different types of animals, both kosher and unclean. To this point, Peter has continued to live according to Jewish law in terms of the things that he eats. Staying at this time in the house of a tanner would have made him ceremonially unclean, but he's still committed to what he should eat. Yet now even this vision is beginning to change his understanding of that. As this voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now for a hungry man on a restricted diet, this should be a welcomed opportunity. Yet Peter here says, not so, Lord. Peter on many occasions, just like you and I, has attempted to tell God, no. We have it in our head the way things should be. We feel like things should be done a certain way. We have it in our minds that the path that we're going down is clearly ordained by the Lord. Look at all the good things I'm doing. Look at how this is all working out. Yet God calls us to something different. God calls us to something uncommon. He calls us to something radical, and we say, not so, Lord. Not so. You see, it's not possible to declare Lord and say no at the same time. If Jesus is truly Lord and Savior of your life, then the only answer that you can ever give is yes. Yet how many times do we attempt the former? No, Lord. No, Lord. How about we just try this? How about we just try that? But see, God was doing something very unique here in Peter. Now remember, this is about 10 years after the day of Pentecost. Okay, so remember our timelines here. It's very difficult as we're reading through the Word to think, well, Pentecost was just a few Sundays ago. Ten years has gone by. But see, God is still working. May you be encouraged by the fact that here God is still working in Peter to say, Peter, I need to continue to break you down. I need to continue to help you to see the way I see things. See, there's hope for us. There's hope for us. For God to continue to work in our lives. And, and what God is using this vision for here is not just to liberate Peter to enjoy a little barbecue every now and then. Though, yes, you can take that from this. He would have liberty. He would have freedom at this point to eat some things that maybe he hadn't before. We see within the Gospels that it's not what enters a man that defiles him. But more importantly here, he's preparing his heart for what is about to happen. He's preparing him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. It's as if he's preparing him for that day when little Sarah or little Jack comes home from school saying they met the one and raised to be fierce USC fans. The one that comes home is wearing a purple and orange hat with a paw on it. You see, there's holy and then there's common. Isn't it justified to withhold this treasure from common? But God declares, what I have cleansed, do not call common. You see, what God is doing in the heart of Peter here has greater impact than, of course, any sports rivalry. But the principle is the same. 
You see, we live in a world today where despite our efforts over the years, many still view others who are different from them as lesser to some degree, or maybe just different, and therefore we give them no time or consideration, whether legitimate, hate-filled racism and bigotry or the subtle signs of superiority. It is God who says, they are mine. They belong to me. And Jesus died for them, and they are not common. With the events that have unfolded in our country recently, it's the temptation of many pastors to put together a sermon on these topics. Today, pastors are teaching messages on racism, threat of war, even on eclipses. Here at Calvary Chapel, we make our way through the Word verse by verse. Yet it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works and gives us a message anyway. You see, here in the vision, God declares to Peter, what I have cleansed, do not call uncommon. What I have made holy, do not call profane. I pray that you can hear me this morning as I no doubt wrestled over and prayed through what it is that I felt the Lord had had me to share through this particular piece here, because I recognize the, the sensitivity and the difficulty of it. But Christian, what we have to hear is that he declares this of you and me, but he also declares this of our Muslim neighbor, of our Jehovah's Witness co-worker, of our transgender teacher, that when Jesus came to die to cleanse the world of sin, he died for all. Black, white, Native American. He died for atheists. He died for the left and the right. He died for the LGBT. And while it is tempting in this day and age to look at such an individual and say, Lord, not so, the reality is that he is saying, love them, minister to them, give them the gospel because I died for them. Jesus declares that every life matters and deserves the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the distinction. It is not to say that God condones the lifestyle or the activity of any group that we could mention, but he says that they matter. He says that you should love one another as I have loved you. He tells us to speak the truth and do we believe that today? In our heart of hearts, are we willing to participate in that, to speak the truth, to take the gospel to those who we may least desire to? That is the great commission. Peter thought, no, such would make me unclean. But God declares that the sacrifice was for them too. And so it is that we look at these radical extremes in our country that are fueled by hate, and we say the true church must say, that Jesus loves you. Furthermore, that he died for you. And if you'd repent of your sins and surrender your life to him, that you could know and experience the peace that you so desperately seek. And see, that's what's happening in our country right now is whether individuals want to say it or not, foundationally, there's a pursuit of peace. We want to be at peace. Yet we have such, in many cases, conflicting views that, that how we get there, how we arrive at peace, requires such different paths. But we have a promise that we can experience a peace which surpasses all understanding. And we can come together and we can try and come up with every way possible under the sun to arrive at understanding. There's a big push right now to sit down and, and have a conversation. And while conceptually, yes, that makes sense, to have a conversation, to ask questions, to be respectful. I'm not very optimistic that the conversation will lead anywhere absent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we can't change one another's opinions. 
I'm not that persuasive. But it's the gospel that transforms hearts and minds. We need to be willing to proclaim the gospel in our country today. And so Peter, he's sitting here and he's wondering in verse 17, wondering within himself what this vision that he had seen meant. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. This was God's timing, that God had given him this vision just as these men were arriving. And they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. You see, even this here is very unique. Now, first of all, why Peter? Why are they coming for Peter? Why did they come all this way for him? Why would God send them to walk all this distance to find Peter? Philip was in Caesarea at the time. Poor Philip. Philip's probably still thinking, man, I did all this good work at the beginning. Then he sent me to the desert. Then he brought me back. And now there's this going on, but you get Peter instead. Now, Philip was a good guy. They were led of the Spirit. You see, why was it Peter? Because remember in Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. As Peter used the keys to open the doors for the gospel, first to the Jews... Peter was there. Secondly, to Samaria. Remember, Peter was called in to verify the work that was happening. He laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And now third will be the door to the Gentiles. God was using Peter in this way. It was important that he used Peter in this way. It was important that Peter would be involved, that he see the power of the gospel, that he attest to the work of the Spirit, that he be used and transformed, calling clean what he formerly would have refused. And you see, when God uses you or I to preach the gospel, it's not just the hearer that's impacted. It impacts us too. God works in us through those experiences to teach us and to grow us. And that's what he's doing here for Peter. And no doubt when Peter would return, he would then declare once again, hey guys, the gospel's out there now. It's going. It's gone viral. And those who were with him would be able to testify and say, yes, it's true. Because at the end of the chapter, we'll see that the Gentiles will receive the Holy Spirit. And now it would begin to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And here in this house in Joppa, where many years before one named Jonah caught a ship to run from the Lord, big things happened in Joppa. He didn't want to bring a message of repentance and restoration to the people of Nineveh. So Jonah got a ticket for a boat, and he went down into the boat, and he went on his way, and we know what happens from there. And here, this house in Joppa, Peter now in the same place, and he's given the opportunity here to go and preach a message of repentance and restoration to one who he may not have wanted to, 
but he invites them in. He invites them in, and, and what a picture we have here. A picture of the church. The church should be a motley-looking crew. No offense. If we want the church to look perfect, then we need to leave. We think of family photos. Family photos are funny. That's why I love the awkward family photos, because it's like they got it right. Because we see these perfect family photos, and you know what's going on behind the scenes. Everybody looks so put together, and they're matching, and there's these smiles, and you know that through the teeth, it's so help me if you do not sit still, I will. You see, that's what sometimes we want the church to look like. But here we have in this house in Joppa, a Jewish apostle, a tanner who's been rejected, and two Roman soldiers who are Gentiles. And what happens when an an apostle, a tanner, and a soldier walk into a house? You can make a joke from this. You see, this wasn't normal, but this was the church coming together. This was the church growing. That final piece was about to come into play to where God could look at his church and he could say, yes, there all of my creation is represented. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. You say, Good job, Peter. You know how tempting it is for people, especially still today, to allow others to bow down and worship them, to maintain the mindset in the heart that I am just a man. Peter's an example in that regard. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. You see, Cornelius had assembled all sorts of people. He was excited about what was about to happen. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? Peter recognizes here that he went in, and this was critical. This is Peter being obedient and going into what he would have otherwise thought was something he should not or could not do. And he even recognized that with him. Do you understand how unlawful this is for me? Yet God has shown me that what he has cleansed, I should not call uncommon. And so he goes in and and he recognizes the uniqueness of this situation. How uncommon, how inappropriate Yet God showed him what he must do as the walls of religion and legalism begin to crumble. Peter must have remembered the times when Jesus sat with tax collectors, when he met the woman at the well, the things he did that were socially unacceptable. And now it was Peter's turn to show the power of the gospel. And so Cornelius said in verse 34, days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing You see, this is new. We didn't get this exact description earlier. So there was a man standing in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you. By God. Here Peter has a captive audience. This is a pastor's dream come true. A whole house full of people that say, we've just been waiting to hear what you have to say. And here he preaches to them the gospel. 
And let me say that this is the message that our world needs to hear today. This is the message that needs to be shared throughout our country, in our schools, in classrooms, at work, in counseling rooms, and in counseling sessions, at doctor's offices, everywhere that individuals are interacting and communicating with one another. This is the message that needs to be shared from the pulpits and the platforms. This is the message that will bring the healing to our country that we so desire, the revival that we desire, the peace and the unity that we desire. It is not a message of self. It is not a message of prosperity, but a message of repentance and restoration. As Peter says in verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He's no respecter of persons. But in every nation, verse 35, in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Amen? Whoever, no partiality, whoever fears him and works righteousness, there is no greater unifying power than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater unifying power than Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is not about religion. It is about Jesus. And Jesus proclaims that he died for all. Do we believe that? Do our actions show that? Does the world know it? I said this yesterday to the men. I feel like I've quoted this several times this week, but it hit me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to not speak is to speak. To not act is to act. Does the world know what we believe? The Jews of the day, they would struggle that these Gentiles would be saved, even those Jewish Christians, that they didn't have to come through the system to be believers. And today we look at certain people, and we do, if we're honest with ourselves, we look at certain people and we say, they're saved, really? Now, it's okay for us to make sure that an individual has counted the cost of following Christ, that there's true conversion there. But we will be skeptical of so many things. Or we get so tied to denominational criteria that we question, are they really saved? Did they do this? Did they do that? We see people who are in such wickedness and we think, they're gone. And they may be, but only God knows the heart of man. He calls us to be faithful in proclaiming the truth of the gospel to them. You see, sadly, through all of these events within our country, the church has been either misrepresented or absent. And so people can create whatever narrative they want to create about what the church is and how the church is functioning and what they should do and and meanwhile, the true church, sadly, far too often, is sitting silent. We have the solution. There is nothing else that anyone can pull together. No policy, no procedure, no event, no nothing 
that compares to every nation. Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. That we could proclaim the word of God, the truth of the gospel, to see hearts and minds changed. And while Peter was still, verse 44, speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. They could wrap their minds around the Samaritans. They were half Jew. They had a little bit of Jew in them. Okay, we can deal with this. It happened. All right, we'll deal with it. But these Gentiles, they were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water? That these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. Peter, with the keys to heaven, took the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles. And what that tells us here, because we don't read otherwise within the Word of God, is that the door is open still for us today to reach anyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is still time before that mighty angel descends from heaven, one foot on water, one foot on land, and begins to declare that there will be no more delay, that the time is coming to an end. There's still hope. There's still an opportunity for us to proclaim the truth. Secondly, Peter recognized that relationship is greater than religion. That what God purchased through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, was greater than our own personal feelings and biases and perspectives. That we need to be willing to go even where we're uncomfortable. Even to those who we may not have normally gone to, because that is the church. I am so thankful for what we have here at Calvary Chapel. For the difference in backgrounds. The difference in race, the difference in, in so many ways, because we have to ask ourselves at times when we look at the churches, is it representative of heaven? And if it's not, then why not? We can still see God move in mighty ways today. And that's the third piece that we see here, is that we need to seek, like Peter, to allow the Lord to bend our hearts towards those things where we would not have normally. That He would break our hearts for what break His that we would see the world as He sees it and allow that to fuel our actions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we pause here as we close, as we go into a, a final time of worship, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that You'd continue to work in our hearts, that You'd take the Word that we've studied here today and help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of those areas where, where we may have intrinsic bias, where we may have a level of discomfort such that we, we may, maybe we're avoiding something that you've been calling us to. Lord, help us to be as we have so consistently prayed to, to be bold, to be courageous, to speak the only truth that can have any impact in our community today. No devices of man can accomplish what this world desires but only the working of the Holy Spirit. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're a, a believer and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have a story to tell. You have something to proclaim. You have something that can bring healing and can bring peace. 
to another who's hurting. That can bring understanding and perspective. That even though it may offend for a moment, through the power of the Spirit, it can bring about reconciliation, restoration, healing, forgiveness. Lord, help us to be faithful as Peter was in going. And going to the place where we may feel that we've least expected. We never felt called before, but yet, Lord, when you give us that open door, we go. Do that work in us, Lord. And as we sing here today, I pray that we would examine ourselves, that we would give you the opportunity to work in our hearts, to convict us of the areas where this may not align in our lives. Do that work here today, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.